0: study tonight and we are in part two of our bible lists on the topic of paradoxes we're in to this by several months now looking at bible lists and again that's a compilation out of uh, at least the starter part of it anyways is from lists that Harold Wilmington compiled and titled in a book bible lists and he has all kinds of different topics and uh, we just go down through scriptures and look at them and last time we were looking at paradoxes and a paradox is something that appears to contradict itself right and we looked at just general ones last time and tonight we're going to look at ones that are uh, what we call contradictions and they're interesting but in found in the person of Jesus Christ the paradoxes of Christ himself and I thought we'd look at that uh, as we go into God's word tonight Um, the first one is found in, and I got to just call up my notes here, but the first one is um, that Jesus thirsted, and yet he is the water of life, right? That living water. And give me a second as I call up my notes here, just to make sure I stay on task. <clears throat> All right. And actually, the first one is he hungered, yet he's the bread of life. And uh, that's Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Um, remember after jesus fasted and he was in the wilderness 40 days 40 nights it says afterward he was hungry and have you ever thought about that that christ hungered and he needed to eat and of course him being god the upholder and maker of all things was yet placed when he put on flesh he became a man he would have gone through everything that we all experience including hunger and he would have had to eat regularly and in this case he goes 40 days without eating and of course that is when satan attempts to to um, well tempt him he can tempt him but he didn't he wasn't victorious was he jesus was tempted and yet without sin we read of in uh, john's gospel remember in the account and i always find this interesting is you have the savior who was hungry and yet he could feed thousands In John chapter 6 verse 8 it says, one of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, make the people sit down, now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, a number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So see the paradox? He hungered, and yet he fed thousands. Um, the next one, I already let you know that one. It's that, uh, well, sorry, this is part, I just put another verse in there. This isn't out of his list, but I thought about this on the, just to show you that he hungered. Uh, remember on, after the resurrection, John chapter 21, Jesus appears to his some of his disciples as they're fishing and it's at a meal that he invites them in right uh, verse 12 of john 21 jesus said to them come and eat breakfast yet none of the disciples dared to ask him who are you knowing that it was the lord now they had just gone back fishing because they had said we're, we're done with the lord right and, and of course he wasn't done with them good thing huh? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. I think of how that would have probably paralleled that story of the time he fed the thousands. And here, this time, he's just feeding a few. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Connection to food. He would feed not only his disciples and people, 5,000 men, but he feed his sheep through his followers. Next one is of the thirst. He thirsted, yet he is the water of life. That's the, the paradox. He thirsted, yet he is the water of life. <clears throat> In John chapter 19, verse 28 One of the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. I thirst. And he would have been thirsty. He would have thirsted. He would have lost a lot of blood. One of the things that happens when you lose your blood volume. Is you become very thirsty. And there he is hanging on a cross. Dying. And in his moments before he he dies. He he says I thirst. And yet you back up early on in John's gospel. In John chapter 4. You know the story of the woman at the well. So he came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noontime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. He was thirsty. It's the heat of the day. He just walked some distance. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask of a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And there he is. Jesus is the living water. And you have that theme throughout Um, well in the book of John as well he is that living water Uh, starting in this same text in John chapter 4 you also we read over this we found out that he grew weary and it says that it says now Jacob's well was there and Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey he could be tired and yet he offers us rest that's a contradiction right so you have he grew weary yet is our rest and a good verse or passage that goes with that Matthew 8:23 Now when he got into a boat his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves but he slept right why was Jesus sleeping he was tired That's the simple answer. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Again, showing Jesus was tired. And yet, he's the same one that could stop nature. And cause a great calm in Matthew chapter 11 he says this take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls he who got tired offers you rest for your soul number four He paid tribute, yet is the king of kings. Think about that. The king of kings paid tribute to earthly leaders. That's paradoxical. Because in our system of things, no king pays tribute to anybody because he's king. Right? We read of Mark chapter 12 in verse 13. Then they sent him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, meaning he's not afraid of anyone. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. And so they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. He paid tribute to Caesar. And he didn't do it just in word, by the way. In Matthew 17, just a little further on, you remember, it comes time to pay the temple tax. And it was like a head tax. And the Jews were required to pay that. They came to Jesus, reminding him of that. And then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And I uh, probably put the wrong one in. There we go. Yeah, I did. Uh, Jesus goes out and tells them to go find a coin. Right? In, in a fish. In a fish. Go out and fish and you'll find a fish there and there will be a coin in its mouth. And go and pay it. And so there it is. You see, the God who can make a fish... Swallow a coin or have a coin appear in his mouth. I don't think he made the coin. I think the fish ate the coin. And Jesus knew where that was. Go get the fish and you'll find a coin also. I think that'd be pretty cool. You can go out and fish and get some money out of it. Right? Fishing always costs more than you ever get out of it. Right, Roland? Yeah. (laughs) Pound for pound is the most expensive food (laughs) next to duck hunting. That's about the only other thing that's worse. But uh, Jesus honored the king, didn't he? And yet, Revelation 19.16, it says this. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. And yet he would pay tribute to an earthly king. Why? Because he made himself of no reputation. Took on himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. he prayed and yet he hears our prayers in Mark chapter 14 verse 32 then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane which literally means olive press it was the very place where Christ would feel his impending death coming down upon him and pressing on him and he said to his disciples sit here while I pray and you know the story he goes about a stone's throw away, and, and there he prays. He comes back, he fall, finds them sleeping. Goes back and prays. Comes back, finds them sleeping. Goes back again, Comes back. Guess what? They're sleeping again, right? And then they come, those that were came to arrest him in the garden. And you know the story. But we have Jesus praying. And he's not just praying lightly. He's in such intense prayer that it's described that As it were, his sweat was like great drops of blood. And so he's being pressed, just like olives are pressed in that way. He prays. And yet, you find, like in John chapter 14, Jesus says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. So Jesus answers our prayers, but yet he prayed. Seems contradictory, doesn't it? Yet he gave himself over to the will of the Father completely and was dependent upon the Father as he went to the cross and had to pray. If Jesus had to pray, we do too, right? (laughs) Another one. He wept, yet dries our tears. He wept, yet dries our tears. One of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. I say one because Paul says, pray always. And that too is found just like this one. It's just two words, pray always. And it's even simpler than that in that. But, but Jesus wept. And you know the context of that, John 11? He goes to, to Lazarus' grave. And he feels the pain. And the loss, and the heartache of losing a dear friend in death, he weeps. Now I know some would say, "Well, maybe he was crying because of the f- people that didn't have faith." You know, they didn't believe that he could raise him from the dead, and those kind of things. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's possible. I guess I'm not going to go on that hill and die alone on it. But I think we see a Savior who felt what we feel at a grave when we lose somebody. He wept. He knows what it's like to cry. And you know, someday, when we enter into glory, those tears are wiped away by God himself. It says that in Revelation 21.4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. <laughs> there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I imagine, if you can think back far enough, and hopefully you can you remember a time when someone wiped the tears off your face, you know? Uh, you always had, at least in my household, my mom would wipe the tears. My dad would be like, don't cry, you know? It's <laughs> the way dads are. But, you know, my mom was there to wipe my tears. Now, when I start crying, well, I don't know. I don't go seek my mom. I don't know. I try not to do that, right? But someday... In heaven, whatever tears are on our face, gone. God's going to take care of it. I'm glad for that. He wept, yet he dries our tears. Number seven: He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he paid the price to redeem the world. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he paid the price to redeem the world. Matthew 26:15. And said, what are you willing to give me? This is Judas, if I deliver him to you. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. That was the blood money to betray Jesus. And yet, a verse we read this morning. First 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wow. Hmm. Another one. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and yet he is the good shepherd. Hmm. And of course that's Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, I think about that. There's a lot of paradoxes that could come out of that. Wilmington did put them in there. I didn't expand on it too much either. But you think about it. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he was the one who can heal. He can Bind up our wounds. He's a bomb of Gilead. Hmm, Think about that. He opened not his mouth. But yet someday his mouth will open and it will be like a sharp sword. Piercing to the very nations. His word will go forth in judgment. First time he came he was silent. The next time he comes he'll roar like a lion. And then it says, And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He went to the cross pretty much in silence. Very little dialogue at all that goes on in that whole, the whole period of time, from the time of his arrest on. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he was both like a sheep and like a shepherd. By the way, he's like a lamb. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. Twofold nature of Christ. <clears throat> Number nine, he was put to death, yet raises the dead. And there's all kinds of verses. We could look at that, but I just have two of them. He was put to death, yet raises the dead. John 5.25 Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is, is, is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There's coming a resurrection. The voice of God. And they'll hear that. Think about that. And then in John 19.33, it says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And again, you see that paradox that God, who can raise the dead, had to die. And Of course, that's at the heart of salvation, isn't it? Without his death, his vicarious death, taking my place in your place, we wouldn't be saved. Without death, you could not have victory over death. Without death, you wouldn't have the payment of sin. All of that and god had to die and that sounds odd in fact there's some that would argue that that means god's not powerful and i would just say this god in the flesh had to die and god in the flesh could die but he didn't cease to exist when he died like you won't cease to exist when you die our non-material parts our soul our spirit if you know the lord they go to be with the lord If you don't know the Lord, you go, according to what Scripture says, into the lake of fire. Um, In that aspect of faith, I leave with him. Because it doesn't take a lot of faith sometimes, does it? Mustard seed of faith, like Jesus says in that. But it's that trust element. And I leave those things with the Lord on that. But I just say, God is God and he died for us that we might live. I'm thankful for that. And then, you know, I thought of a couple others. These are outside of what Wilmington had, but um, another one is that he's the prince of peace, and yet he's the righteous judge who makes war. He's the prince of peace, but he also makes war. And we read that in Isaiah 9-6, right? The description of who he is. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's one of his titles. And yet in Revelation 19.11, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he, that's Christ, who sat on him, was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. See, he came to bring peace between God and man, and bring peace and reconciliation in the payment of sin and all of that but if you will not embrace him and the gift he offers then he will someday be the warrior to judge the man of war and as i said earlier he's the one who um takes away the is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world and yet he's the lion of the tribe of judah In Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two, it says this. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Why do you think Simon had to bear the cross of Jesus? The scripture tells us in that. Why, why couldn't Jesus do it? He was too weak. He could not lift the cross member that he was carrying. And it was most likely one piece, so there would be, you know, the the piece that would go horizontally across. And that was usually what the prisoners would, were compelled to carry. And they would go up to a, a pole that would be that would be attached to, and then they would be nailed to it, and then that would be erected in and put in the ground. And and it was quite a process. And he couldn't carry the wooden cross because he was too weak. And yet We've been studying the book of Hebrews. Look what it says here of the Son, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See the paradox in that? He was so weak he couldn't carry a, a piece of wood, but yet he's the one who upholds all things at the same time. I'm thankful for such a Savior. Anyways, a few thoughts to go on tonight. There could be more. There's more paradoxical things in the life of Christ. But um, it's not so much that they're contradictory as they're complementary, aren't they? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful for how you have revealed yourself to us. And the nature of the Godhead. The nature of the Son being fully God, yet fully man. Thank you we have such a Savior who has felt every infirmity, knows every temptation, has struggled, knows what it's like to be hungry and tired and lonely and bereaved and all these things and yet without sin. Thank you for such a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks.